I want to welcome all of you here this morning for worship, here in this room and joining us by television or on the internet. We're so thrilled that you're here, and it is the most wonderful time of the year. I can hardly contain myself. This past week, I loaded up the kids. We got popcorn and hot chocolate and wassail, and uh, we headed over to see the lights display at uh, Saluda Shoals Park in Lexington County. It was incredible, really gets you in the Christmas spirit, but my favorite way to get in the Christmas spirit is the Columbia Christmas pageant. That's this weekend. Friday, two performances on Saturday, one on Sunday, and I can't wait to see it all come together. I think y'all are working hard today to make sure that that happens. So if you don't have tickets, you get them today, you bring somebody with you, and you'll be here for that. And uh, I'm looking forward to being here for all the performances. Uh, but for the next four weeks, we're going to help prepare for Christmas as I preach through a series we're calling Tis the Season. I've heard that so many times this week about so many different things. Well, tis the season. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm overcoming a little bit something here, and somebody said, tis the season, and that's exactly right. But there are so many things I love about Christmas, but it is not all glitter and gold. I'm sure there are some things that you could do without uh, this time of year, uh, but you can't because it just comes along with it. Uh, one thing about Christmas is it truly is a season of waiting, and I cannot stand to wait. You know, all the traffic jams that we deal with, uh, it's already a nightmare to get out on the interstate, but now because of all the shopping, it even gets worse. Um, of course, you walk into stores in these long checkout lines that nobody enjoys. Uh, the kids, of course, cannot wait uh, for Christmas morning, and all the teachers cannot wait for Christmas break, and then all the parents cannot wait for Christmas break to end. That's just how it goes. But this truly is a season of waiting. Um, but I, 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 you know, it's documented how much I dislike waiting. I'm just not that patient when it comes to waiting. Uh, you know, when we pull up to the green light and somebody's accelerator challenge in front of me, the whole world passes us by, and I'm thinking, what are we doing? What are we doing? Waiting, or you walk in those big box stores, and there's like 15 people in front of you with loaded carts, and you're waiting, and you look around, and there's 50 empty lines, but no cashiers. You think, what are we waiting on? But... I know I'm no different from you. I mean, is there anybody that enjoys waiting? If so, we want to see you. You know, we want to know what you look like, what your life is like. Well, a couple thousand years ago, the world was waiting on the arrival of the promised Messiah. Now, of course, not the entire world was actively waiting. But we know that prophecy had pointed towards the coming of the Messiah into the world. God was going to step into history. And so Israel was waiting for this, but there was no hurrying that plan along. In fact, we know that prior to his coming, there was 400 years of silence from God. So the nation of Israel likely thought they had been forgotten or abandoned or the plan of a Messiah had been scrapped. And so they were used to waiting. They were just waiting. And the role of this season of Advent of anticipating Christmas is appropriate. In fact, I think that we should use this period of time to allow that longing in our hearts to form prior to Christmas, just like those who waited for the first Christmas and the arrival of the Messiah. In fact, as believers in Christ, we find ourselves in a different season of waiting because now we find ourselves waiting for his second coming, for the return of Christ. So in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning... Uh, Jesus taught his disciples that as they wait for his return, or the Son of Man's return, 
they should watch for indications that it was approaching. And so we're going to be reading in Luke 21, and I'll be in verse 25. But in this chapter, Luke records Jesus teaching his disciple on the Mount of Olives about things to come, things that have not happened that will come, which included this return of the Son of Man. So join with me now as I read to you from Luke 21, and I'm going to read to you verses 25 through 33. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the seas and the waves, men fainting from fear, and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening... Recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Advent, the season of waiting for or anticipating Christmas, should remind us to keep on the alert as we await the return of the Lord. So we're first going to consider what it means to wait on the Lord in light of signs, dismay, and perplexity. So this passage of Scripture is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's recorded in um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the uh, Synoptic Gospels. And it's the last major teaching by Jesus in those three Gospels. The discourse is about the future. It's about things that have not happened but will occur. And in fact, it's the most important teaching about the future that you find in those three Gospels. And it begins with the disciples asking Jesus about a prophecy he had made, where he had said that the temple would be destroyed, and then it would be rebuilt, I think is what he said. So they, they're like, what does that mean? Jesus, when is this going to happen? And so they start with those questions, and Jesus just finished talking about a coming day when Jerusalem would be ransacked, the temple would be destroyed. Now the interesting thing is, that happened. It happened just 35, 40 years after Jesus speaking to his disciples about it. In the year 70 AD, the Jerusalem was uh, attacked, the temple was destroyed. Now I'll tell you that this is a difficult section of scripture to study, namely because it's prophetic. And we really struggle at understanding prophecy properly and applying it to our lives. In fact, scholars differ pretty significantly on what exactly this passage is talking about. And uh, some scholars think that he's talking the entire time, or speaking the entire time, about the temple being destroyed and Jerusalem being ransacked. But I believe what happens is Jesus turns a corner, and right here when we come to these verses, I think that Jesus is speaking now of the return of the Son of Man. And the final consummation of all things, the end of time. So that's the way we're going to approach it as we study the passage and consider what it means to wait in light of signs, dismay, and perplexity. So Jesus says in verse 25, precisely that. There will be signs in, in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. 
So Jesus is saying there's a day that's approaching. There's a day that's coming when there will be signs of cosmic proportions. Now this is pretty frequent imagery when you read through the Old Testament. The prophets spoke about this. They talked about the end of time and how it would impact the cosmos. In fact, Isaiah, he says, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. The prophet Amos says, It will come about in that day that I, I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. So the idea is at this point in history, there will be noticeable cosmic activity. Undeniable things happening in the cosmos, in the skies, in the heavens. And he says there will be geopolitical turmoil. Nations, dismay among the nations. So strife among people. And then he says there will be perplexity as people look at nature. And look at the waves and the seas. Possibly the climate and the land. In fact, it's, it's going to create fear. Jesus says men will faint from fear at seeing these things occur. Well, you'll notice there's no perfect formula here that describes a definitive time when this is going to happen. It's specific enough that keeps us watching, but general enough that prevents us from attaching a date to it or a time to it or even a year to it. A lot of people have attempted that. They've said he's going to return on this day or within this period of months or perhaps in this year. And those days and months and years have come to be and Jesus still has not returned. But Jesus says that's the way it should be because there are some things that only God knows. In fact, in Acts 1-7, Jesus is speaking and he says to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. We're not to know the time, but we do know what to look for. And the scripture makes it clear that we will not have to search for it, that it will be obvious. And so the event we're talking about, of course, is the coming of the Son of Man in a cloud with power and great glory. And scripture is clear that Jesus will return to earth in a visible way. In fact, as Jesus is ascending into the clouds... Acts 1, right after he spoke those words in verse 7, says that the men are staring, watching him go away into the atmosphere, kind of like you'd watch a balloon. It just disappears, so they're just standing there. And then there's a voice of, of an angel, Acts 1, 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So we fully expect Jesus will return in a visible way, not a figurative way, but a literal way. And the whole idea of the return of Christ is hard to imagine. It seems a little science fiction. It's like, what's that going to be like? We have more questions than answers. It also is disturbing because you think about the sun not shining or the stars not glowing or the moon not reflecting light. You think about nations in turmoil. You think of people staring at the oceans wondering what's going on. I read headlines in the news this week that talked about the seismic activity in the world. Did y'all see this? There was seismic activity this past week and the geologists are so confused that's what it means. They're like, they can't understand it because it seems, as a matter of fact, the article is very, it says perhaps it's uh, uh, ancient sea creatures waking in the deep, you know? So this, this is a headline, okay? I read it in the news. But we know how the news goes, right? 
But th- it's, it's like, what is happening? Well, that's when all of a sudden you see that you think, what are we going to do? How are we to respond to that? But as believers in Jesus who fully anticipate his return, we should have a certain level of hope and confidence that causes us or empowers us to straighten up and lift our heads, which is the opposite of cowering in fear. Because that's what Jesus says happens. Men will faint in fear. But believer, we straighten and we lift our heads. Because we have a belief that God is returning. I believe that the scripture teaches that God communicates in the language of dismay and signs and perplexity. This means as we watch the news and we see events unfolding, that it causes us to consider what is God communicating at this point? What are we to learn in the middle of this strife or in this struggle or what's happening in the world? Or because of the natural disasters? What are we to learn? Well, the reason I'm really certain that this is how God communicates, that this is at least one way that God speaks, is because God communicated in special ways to point towards the first coming of Christ. His incarnation, his birth that we celebrate this time of year. Remember, an angel appeared to Zacharias when he was in the inner part of the temple. And he said, your wife, Elizabeth, is with with child. Well, that was beyond their expectation. But this angel communicated that to Zechariah. An angel appeared to Mary and says, although you're a virgin, God is going to deliver his people through a child that's in your womb. And then through a vision or a dream, he appears to Joseph and explains what's happening because, of course, he's experiencing total confusion. We know there are shepherds who are out in the fields and they see angels in the sky. So all of this cosmic activity is pointing towards the fact that God is stepping into history. And so they see these things. Plus we know there was a star, a famous star that we remember this time of year, the Bethlehem star. There were wise men who studied the stars and they noticed this one thing happening in the sky. And it was so significant, they set off to find out what the announcement was all about. Because they believed a king, perhaps a king of kings is being born. Matthew says when they saw the Bethlehem star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. God communicates through signs, through dismay, through perplexity, and he did that for these wise men who came. Jesus says when these things take place, straighten up and lift your heads. All of that cosmic activity, all of the trouble, all of the perplexity, it leads, it leads people toward despair. And if I know, I know what life is like because I live it too. It's really hard sometimes to keep fear, uh, to keep bitterness, to keep depression at bay. When you look at what's happening generally in the world or specifically in your life or the lives of those that you're close to. Even today, you turn on the news, you scroll through social media. Some of you wake up to it every morning in your own homes. And you feel the weight of trouble and dismay. So what are we to do? Well, as Christians, we take heart. We hold on. We wait before the Lord. The scripture says we patiently wait on him. I know that doesn't come easy. So we patiently wait on the Lord. We have a promise from him. And the promise that we can declare with um, absolute boldness and courage is that God will not abandon us. He will not abandon us. The promise of scripture is, of Christmas, is that he did not 
leave us on our own. He did not abandon us. We know not only that, he's going to return. Now, I know some of you are in a serious period of waiting right now. You feel like your life is on hold. You wonder if God's forgotten about you. You think you've been abandoned. And you think, what am I supposed to do right now? Whether it's uh, waiting on an opportunity. Maybe it's uh, waiting on that special someone that you've been waiting for in life. Or maybe as a family, you're waiting on a child or some job or some specific situation. Well, here's the deal. <clears throat> I would not claim to be able to answer all the why questions that formulate when you're going through situations like that. There is no good answer to those why questions because those are some things that only God knows. But I am convinced that what God does in us while we wait is as important as what it is that we are waiting for. Let me say that again. I'm convinced that what God does in us while we wait is as important as what it is that we are waiting for. So we wait by remaining hopeful in light of signs and circumstances and dismay around us. Also, we wait by remaining hopeful in light of the signs and circumstances, I mean, in, in the circumstances around us, but also believing that the kingdom of God is near. So to help us to understand this, or to help the disciples to understand, Jesus taught a parable. That was his way of really preaching a message that maybe they could understand. So he tells a story, verse 29, then he told them this parable, Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. Now we don't even really, most of us anyways, don't really pay a lot of attention to the trees. They're just part of the horizon. They're part of the display for us. But we still read the signs that are there. You know, there'll come a time here in Columbia, here a couple months, where all of a sudden these trees in Columbia will start to have these white leaves, and we'll start to say, oh no, hold your nose. It's the Bradford pears. We know what that's like, right? Right now we're living in the season where the leaves are all falling, and we say it's the right time to invest in a good rake or a really good leaf blower. We know that it's also announcing that winter is here. Well, Jesus says, so you also, in verse 31, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. As I was typing this sermon, I had headphones in, and the song, Joy to the World, came on. And that lyric, right as I was writing this part, said, let every heart prepare him room. That's what Christmas should remind us to do. God is saying, prepare, make ready. The king is coming. So open up your eyes, open up your hearts and your minds. That's what God's saying to us. Men will faint at the sign that God is coming, but believers straighten up, lift their heads, because the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus issues two warnings. He says, this generation will not pass away before these things take place. And then he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. Now, I have intentionally not left time here to be able to discuss verse 32. I'm just kidding. But I, it, this is one of the more complex things that the Lord has spoken is verse 32. In fact, this is where a lot of theologians and commentators make money is off of this verse right here. Because when Jesus is saying this, we know he does not mean that before you, the people I'm speaking to, or your generation passes away, I'll return. Because we know they did pass away and he has not returned. So what does he mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, people disagree about this, 
pretty significantly. There's a lot of options there. But I'm going to tell you, as I study it, this is how I best understand this. I believe what Jesus is saying is that when all of a sudden those signs that he reversed first to in verse 25 begin to appear, then very quickly the end will come. So much so that those that see the signs before their generation passes away, he will have walked through the threshold. I believe that's what he's saying. Once the end begins, it will move quickly. Now, I don't have charts. I don't have a calendar. I can't show you when Christ will return. But as I look around me, it's as if I see trees budding with leaves. It appears to me that we are inching closer to the return of Christ and the consummation of all things. Matthew and Mark, when they record this Olivet Discourse, they actually include a different phrase or an, another phrase that Jesus says that Luke leaves out. He says in Mark 13, 29, this is where I'm reading it from. It says, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Matthew says the same thing. I believe that Jesus is near the door, but I don't have a clue when he's going to turn the knob and step through the threshold. Some evenings whenever I'm at home and the kids, um, uh, with the kids and Rachel's out, it'll start to get late and I'll think, where in the world is Rachel? And so I'll text her or call her and I'll say, Rachel, uh, where are you? And very often the answer is, I'm here. Um, she just has pulled into the garage, shut the garage door, turned off the car and is sitting in the car. I think that's what moms of young kids do sometimes because you can find silence in the van. So she's just sitting there quietly. I know she's here but I don't know when she's coming through the door. That's kind of my experience. Well, as Christmas arrives, there are signs that will tell you it's almost here. And I know some of you get fed up with it because the signs come earlier and earlier and earlier. Now, I'm one of those who does that. See, on my birthday, I know Christmas is coming. My birthday is September 25th, so on the 26th, I turn on the Christmas music. Because I feel like everybody needs 90 good days of Christmas music to get ready for the big day. And it's a reminder to get ready for Christmas. Or when you see the displays, you walk in here and you think, oh my goodness, time's ticking away. You know, we already, that's, it's all of a sudden when the calendar strikes December 1, we're getting to panic mode. We've got so much to do. The shopping, the baking, the putting up lights, the, all the different traditions, setting up the schedule. So there are signs that tell us there are things to do. Get ready, Christmas is almost here. Well, as we notice the signs that Jesus is returning, we are reminded to get ready. It should cause us to check our heart and to ask ourselves, am I living as a citizen of heaven? See, I think that's the biggest application here. Am I living, as, as I see the signs around me, as I recognize that God, Jesus may perhaps be right at the door right now, am I living as a citizen of heaven? Because living here, we get so wrapped up in everything else that we forget to remember to be ready and live as a citizen of heaven. As we notice the signs, we're reminded to serve him more faithfully. It's, we're reminded he's coming back. We stop serving ourselves. Don't look out for our own interests but the interests of others out of humility. We are here to live for him. So as I see the signs, I start uh, serving him more faithfully. Second thing, as I see the signs that he's returning, I'm reminded to be more urgent with the gospel. I've got to make sure that people know. 
I cannot live like time will go on forever because it will not. Very soon he will open the door. He'll step through the threshold. Am I urgent with the gospel, with my family members, with my friends, with my own life? We're reminded to be urgent with the gospel. We're reminded to grow in grace. We are not here to just sit and take up space on a pew. We are to live as disciples, to be growing in grace, to become more like Jesus, so that when we see him, we're ready to face him. So during this season of waiting, we, remain, uh, we wait by remaining on the, the alert. We have to wonder, why has Jesus unveiled this plan? Why did he tell the, his disciples this? Why is it recorded for us to hold on to and be able to study today? Well, he does give a practical appeal here at the end. Verse 34 through 36. Let me read to you. It says, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We all know what it's like to be waiting so long that we forget what we're waiting for. Have you ever been on hold and finally the operator comes back on? You're like, I, I don't even remember. I don't even remember what I called you for. But I'm sure it was important, you know. But we all know what that's like. Well, it's very easy as a Christian to get so weighed down by the worries of life that we forget we are to live on alert. That's a very easy temptation for us because life gets busy enough, distracting enough, and the truth is tough enough that we forget God's put us here on mission. We're to live on alert. We're to live as if he may return any second. And that's what we're to do as believers. I was at um, McIntyre National Guard, the Joint National Guard base a while back. And when you're there, you notice the two F-16s that sit out on the tarmac. There's a couple pilots there. Because they know at any second, the alert may come and they may need to be run to the, the jets and to, to, for, to be scrambled or whatever it might be. We're to live on alert as Christians just like that. We should be ready at a moment's notice for action. And I'm talking about in your everyday living. When all of a sudden you can say, okay, who is it around me that has a need? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I am here for a specific reason. God, what can I do for you? Who can I encourage? Who can I serve? Who can I share the gospel with? I want to be ready and ready even for your return. See, I think the scriptures indicate that even believers will not be ready when he does return. He says it'll be just suddenly, just like the days of Noah when the floods came. They weren't ready. In the days of Abraham, when destruction came upon Sodom, they were not ready. The cosmic announcements will be unmistakable, but many will turn a blind eye or explain it away. So Jesus says we are to remain prayerful. The life of faithful perseverance is made possible through prayer. Because that's our lifeline to God. So we communicate with him. It's our commitment to prayer that helps us to endure it. One commentator said, to cease praying is equivalent to giving up. To cease praying is, to, is equivalent to giving up. I wonder if your prayer life was uh, studied or investigated, 
if somebody might say, I think you've given up in some areas. So we're to be on the alert at all times because we don't know when Christ will enter in. And there are several ways to do that. It takes patient trust to wait on God in that way. It takes confident humility to wait on God in that way. And then we have to learn to recognize his voice. Sometimes we hear a panicky voice in our head. That's never the Lord. He doesn't speak in that language. So life is about waiting. We wait on God and on his return by remaining hopeful in light of signs, dismay and perplexity, by recognizing the kingdom of God is near and by remaining on the, the alert. So just as they waited for Christ's first coming, we wait for his return. And sometimes waiting is tough. I know some of you are in periods of waiting that's just hard. That you just need the encouragement to be able to do it. And God tells us to be patient before him and wait. And it is a struggle. But let me tell you this. If it gets hard, talk to God about it. Because Christmas means God knows all about waiting. God waited thousands of years after the fall, after sin, before he sent his son on a rescue mission. Then Jesus had to wait 30 years to grow up before he started his ministry. Then he was arrested, crucified, and buried. And then he waited three days. God says, finally, after three days, that's enough. Get up. And now Jesus gets up. And, he, and not yet became now. And someday for us, the not yet that we're in will become now. Because we know that Jesus is at the door. And soon he will step through the threshold. And life as we know it will cease to happen. Are you ready for that moment? He says at the end of verse 36, and to stand before the Son of Man. Are you prepared to stand before the Son of Man? Some of you here, you need to be ready for that by responding to the grace that's in Jesus Christ. By placing your faith and trust in him, by believing in him, so that you're ready to stand before the Son of Man. I think there's a bigger question for many of you, and it's, what if Jesus does not come back today? How am I to live in light of the fact that he's not coming back today? That question ought to fuel our living. <clears throat> he's coming, but not yet, so I better be ready. So in this season of waiting, are you <clears throat> willing to wait, recognizing <clears throat> that God is in control and you are not? Are you willing to wait by saying, I'll go wherever you send me? Are you willing to wait by saying, I'll take inventory of my life and where I am not living as a citizen of heaven, I will begin to live that way. Christ has come and Christ will return again. How are you going to live in light of that truth today? Our Father in God, we love you. We're so thankful we study your word. We're so grateful, God, that you send your son on a rescue mission to save us. And God, we wait with great hope to see your coming. God, I pray that you would help us to live for you. I pray for those that are gathered here, that as they come now to a time of decision, that you would speak to our hearts and help us to know how to respond. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. If God is speaking to your heart this morning about being prepared to stand before the Son of Man or being prepared to live in light of the fact that he's not coming just yet, but he will. And you need to be, uh, have somebody pray with you or encourage you or make a decision, join our church, Take a step towards baptism. We'd love for you to do that today. I'm going to be down front. The choir's going to sing. As they sing, you respond.